0: The term adulting, if you're unfamiliar, it is defined as the practice of behaving in a way characteristic of a responsible adult, especially the accomplishment of mundane but necessary tasks. Because nothing says responsible adult like accomplishing mundane but necessary tasks. You can See there, though, that the uh, idea of adulting is an entire way of life that promotes you uh, being able to do things that you should already be able to do. You know, stuff like paying a bill, taking out the garbage, uh, going to work early on a day that might be a holiday. It's like, congratulations, you... You did it. Good job. But uh, the reason this word has made its way into the English language and the reason we've managed to change a noun into a verb is because the moment you do one of these mundane but necessary tasks, you have to take a picture of it and post it online to one of your social media platforms with the hashtag adulting. And this has become such a popular uh, phrase that Time Magazine actually wrote an article about adulting. And in 2016, the word was nominated as Word of the Year. Like, that's a prestigious honor if I've ever heard of one, congratulations, but the reason that I want you familiar with it, and the reason we're doing an entire series by that title, is because as a culture, there's become a trend where the bulk of people want to stay as immature as possible for as long as possible, and everybody wants the rewards without the work, and nowadays people start talking about free health care, and free college, and we'll pay you money to live in our town, free rent, whatever it is. And I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. And so I'm going to stay as young as possible for as long as possible. And what I want you to know that and what I want to chat about over these next few weeks together is that we have to learn how to grow up, not just grow old. Like that's God's plan for your life is that you mature a little bit. So we need to learn how to grow up, not just grow old. Unfortunately, this childish attitude of not taking responsibility for my actions, it's infiltrated our spiritual lives. Now many people are content with just being a spiritual infant and not really knowing God, and I'm just going to tell you that is not God's best for your life. So as you start thinking about 2020 and as you start thinking about some New Year's resolutions and as we kick off this kind of church-wide initiative of 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting, I want to talk to you all about growing up in your prayers. How can we pray better and more effectively and not so childish? Which, as best as I can tell, people in this country started praying creepy prayers in 1750. It all started then, because in 1750, the New England Primer recorded the familiar words, Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. Is nobody else creeped out by that? Like, what in the world? As a little kid, that's what you want to talk about? Like, I don't want to die as a little kid. Why are you you praying this, Mom? You know, don't teach me this prayer. I don't want to learn this prayer. But uh, in fairness, the recitation of prayers, it started way before 1750. It's going on forever. It's still going on today. You've probably prayed some version of the prayer. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our... Food, By his hands, we are fed. Give us, Lord, daily bread. you probably prayed some kind of prayer. Oh, Lord in heaven, hear my prayer. Keep me in your loving care. Be my guide in all I do and bless all those who love me too. Which don't get me wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying those prayers. Or if you do that as a family, I think it's fine. What I'm saying is if you're older than five, you should probably learn some new prayers. You probably need to grow up a little bit. It's time to start praying in a different way. And so to help us with that, we're actually going to look how Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. So if you brought a Bible, I hope you did. You can go ahead and grab it. Meet me in Luke chapter 11. This is going to be a familiar passage to many of you because at some point, even if you're brand new to the Bible, you've heard or seen the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. At some point you've probably said some of those words together but uh, here's what I want you to write down and this is my entire message in one sentence. The Lord's Prayer is a method, not A mantra. That's what we need to chat about. That that what Jesus is going to teach us here in how to pray. It's a method for prayer. It's not the mantra. It's not what you need to repeat. Uh, It's how you should pray, not what you should say. Okay. Rhymed on purpose for you guys. Nobody's impressed in the first service either. I'm writing poetry up here. You all should be. Here we go. Luke eleven. Once, Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. There it is. This is how you should pray. Again, not what you should say. Method, not a mantra. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us, and don't let us yield to temptation. Now, I purposely read that in text in a different translation than what many of you are probably used to. Father, may your name be kept holy. Doesn't have the same ring as our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. But that just proves my point. It's a mantra to be repeated. It's a method for how you should pray. It's a method to be modeled. Furthermore, the passage in Luke uh, has become really controversial because if you would compare that passage, Luke 11, to Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus also taught this same prayer, you would see that the two versions don't line up. And skeptics want to point to that and they'll say, well, see, you can't trust the Bible. It's inconsistent. Perhaps you've heard that. If you have, don't panic. Proves my point. Method, not mantra. Remember, Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He traveled all around the Middle East teaching people different sorts of things besides prayer. And Matthew, his disciple, he heard the prayer in one way, so he recorded that in Matthew chapter 6. And then years later, Luke comes along. He starts interviewing eyewitnesses about this life of Jesus, this Jesus that he's heard of. And they heard it in a different way, and so he wrote it down that way. And that should be expected. You should expect a little bit of differentiation between two times people are teaching something. It'd be no different than if you were to come to first service, and then you stay for second service, you hear me preach, and you say, wait a second, he didn't say that in first service, how come he's saying that in second service? And of course, there would be some kind of variation. The content would be the same, the method would still be the same, but all of my words were not going to be identical, it's only natural. In fact, it's part of the reason I think you should trust the Bible because it's not all neat and tidy and God's not trying to hide anything from you. But Jesus continues in verse 5, then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanted to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine's just arrived for the new year and I have nothing for him to eat. No other reason you'd be out at midnight, kids. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. We don't watch the ball drop or Ryan Seacrest or Dick Clark, whoever hosts, I don't know. I can't help you, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Do you see what Jesus is saying? when it comes to prayer... He's teaching you the same thing that Dory taught you. You need to keep on swimming, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Sure, that's annoying, but not to God. Like, He wants you, it's biblical, to keep on asking, keep praying, be consistent in uh, the prayers that you're doing. Jesus is so passionate about it, He tells a parable about it a few chapters later in Luke chapter 18, you should check it out sometime, it's called the parable of the unjust judge. And it's the same point, keep asking God, keep praying. Jesus continued, your fathers, if your children, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or, I mean, sometimes to be a joke, you know, but that's not what you're supposed to do. If they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God, that is what we are asking for right now. For your Holy Spirit to fill this place, fill up our hearts, give us eyes to see, give us ears to understand. Help us figure out how we can pray more like Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit. Again, we're asking you to do what only you can do and help change lives, help uh, draw us one step closer to you as we uh, leave this place today, we ask all of this in Jesus name. Amen. So a number of months ago, Laura and I were invited over to some friends of ours house for supper, which, to be honest with you all, I personally don 't like going to people 's houses for food i have, I have this deal with expiration dates. It's kind of a whole thing. You can ask my in-laws. You can ask my family. They will tell you that I try, like, inconspicuously. It doesn't always work. Sometimes I notice, but I'm, like, looking at the bottom of the bottle and looking at the side. And then I'm off in the corner whispering to Laura, like, "Babe, Laura, I, I can't eat this. It's expired. And she says the same thing you all are thinking. It's fine. As just a suggestion. Have you ever gotten sick from it before? And I'm always like, no, I haven't because I haven't ate it before. I've thrown it out every single time. But uh, when this particular friend invited us over, it was a no-brainer for me because this brother can cook. You know how the first time you go to somebody's house is just to be nice. You're just trying, you know, to come across as a good individual, but you'll never go back if it's super awkward. In this case, I don't care if it's super awkward every single time. I'm going back all the time so long as this dude is manning the kitchen because whatever he makes is fantastic. And on this night, he made these burgers where he formed the patty. And then he, he used a glass to cut out the center of the patty and then he started frying the burger and then he put an egg inside like of the inside of the burger and some cheese on top. I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, going back and replaying it all in the flavors in my mind. And it was incredible. And so a few weeks after that, I thought to myself, I'm doing that. Like, I'm going back, I'm going to get the burger, and I'm going to get the glat and the egg, and we're going to do the whole thing, and you can probably see where this is going. I can sum it up in three words. Wah, wah, wah. Like, what? This is not at all how I remembered how it was. And some things, I guess, are better left to the experts. And I can't help but wonder if this is not the same attitude a lot of people have about prayer. Most people don't pray because they've tried it once and it didn't go so well. And so they want to leave it to the experts until a crisis happens and then everybody tries to pray. But what if you could pre-prevent the crisis? Uh, Jesus actually talks about that. It's crazy to think about, but I'm convinced that most people don't pray because they don't know how or they've been around somebody who does know how and then they think about their prayer and they're like, well, I can't do that. Or more frequently... Most people don't pray because they're doing fine without it. So what's the point in starting? And I can't help but think that you're somewhere on that spectrum. Don't know how to, don't need to, I've been doing life just fine. So a couple things. First of all, if Jesus needed to pray, then you need to pray. And so if you think you don't need to pray, then that's a hard issue. I can't really help you with that. But if you think, well, I've tried to pray, it didn't work, I don't know how to pray, I can help you with that. Not because I'm an expert prayer, but because we have modeled for us by the God of the universe how he wants you to engage him in prayer. And so we need to grow up in our prayers and do what Jesus modeled for us. And what I find so compelling about this passage is that the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray but they knew how to pray. They're Jewish, all of them. They grew up praying. They grew up reading psalms and reciting prayers out loud as good Jewish boys would do. And so what they're really asking is, teach us to pray like that. We see what you're doing. It ain't what we're doing. And it's no different than me going to my friend and saying, teach me how to cook. I know how to cook. I just don't know how to cook like that and we need to figure out how we can pray like that. What if you could experience the same intimacy and power that Jesus had when he prayed? He promises that you can. And I believe that you will if you'll do what Jesus did and learn how to pray. So, let's look at what Jesus did. First of all, first off, where was Jesus when the disciples came to him to teach them how to pray? Not your question in a certain place. That's the very first verse. Once, Jesus was in a certain place praying. In Matthew chapter 6, when our boy Levi records this same uh, interaction, uh, he says these words of Jesus. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. Matthew 6, 6. That is to say, have a certain place where you pray. Uh, the wor- the word room there is, is translated better store uh, storeroom or closet. It's an inner chamber of a house. You've maybe heard of people that go to pray in a prayer closet. Well, that's actually a biblical thing. For you, it might not be a closet. It could be, you know, just your room in general. Uh, it might be in your car on your way to work. It It could be the bathroom, because it's the only place in your house with a lock where the kids can't find you. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying? Uh, So you might have to get in there and hide from those monsters. But uh, it could be just your kitchen table or an island. Whatever it is, is going to be a certain place that is free from distraction. That's why Jesus said, go into a room, shut the door. He wants you free from distraction. So if you get nothing else, I say, please get this. When you set out to pray in your certain place, don't bring your phone. That is a distraction. You need to be distraction free. And if you're praying in your car on the way to work, then have your phone on silent. What absolutely should not be silent is you. When you pray, you should pray out loud. You want to grow up in your prayers? Then you need to learn how to pray out loud. Pray like Jesus did. He used His voice. It's verse 2. Jesus taught His disciples, and He said, He spoke. He used His voice. How weird would it have been for the disciples to come up to Jesus and say, Hey, teach us how to pray. And Jesus is like, Okay, sure. Fold your hands, bow your heads. You feel how awkward this is right now? Like this is terrible. And one of the disciples would be like looking around like Peter's looking at John, like, dude, this is weird right now. Like what is he doing? Like I oh, I, this isn't teaching me anything. And yeah, that's why he opened his mouth, he used his voice, and so should you when you pray out loud, you are engaging your body to help your mind focus. You're having to think about what words you're going to say. You're using your mouth and your tongue and your lips and everything all to communicate those words. And as those words come out of your mouth, they enter the atmosphere and the waves travel back into your ears. And it starts this crazy vibration of vibrating in your ear thing. And and then your ears are like telling your brain what you just said. It's totally complex and nobody understands it. But that's what you should be doing when you're praying. Engaging. Helping yourself concentrate. Trust me. You are not that good at praying in your mind as you think you are. Because when you start praying and use your prayer you start thinking about prayer and then you're like, well, if I start thinking about other things and then you're like, what am I even doing in this closet right now? And then you just leave. Or worse yet you fall asleep. Uh, Because everybody's done that, okay? So don't judge me. But praying out loud, it it doesn't mean you have to yell. It doesn't mean you have to do anything weird. You can whisper. You can mumble. God knows exactly what you're saying. But it 100% should be audible because prayer is an activity. It is a verb. It is not clearing out your mind like meditation. It's cleaning out the junk in your life and asking God to do something for you and in you. Plus, think about this. The next time you're asked to pray out loud, you won't be so reluctant. The reason you're reluctant right now is because you've never practiced it. And the reason, if I would come down to you and say, hey, would you mind closing us in uh, prayer and service today? you would die on the spot. Uh, the, the reason why is because you won't even pray out loud in front of yourself. So why would you pray in front of you know a whole group of people? But imagine if you had some practice. Now, all of a sudden, it wouldn't be so weird. And you wouldn't freak out about what your voice sounds like or what words you're eating. Like, you wouldn't even think about that stuff. You'd just be like, yeah, sure, absolutely. So practice it. Pray out loud. And if I could add a sub-point here to praying out loud, which I, I have the microphone so I can do whatever I want. But I would add a sub-point to pray out loud. Pray upright. Physically. Standing. Uh, something to get your posture up and down. You might want to write that off to the side. Pray upright because prayer is about focus and just being in a distraction-free environment. And the reason you fall asleep when you pray is the same reason that the disciples fell asleep in Mark 14 and Matthew 26 when Jesus asked them to pray. The reason they fell asleep is because they laid down. Don't lay down. Sit, kneel, walk, sit. Do something to engage your body, but if you want to grow up in your prayers and have the results that Jesus did, you need to do what Jesus did. And Jesus, when he prayed, prayed out loud. He was in a physical posture uh, and, and also was in a spiritual posture, which is point number three, have a humble heart. You need to have a humble heart. Get your physical posture right so you don't fall asleep. Get your spiritual posture right and understand what it is that you're doing. Uh, think about how Jesus first started his prayer. He starts with the attributes of God. He calls God Father. Then he moves on to the holiness of The Father. Then he moves on to your kingdom come. He's like saying, God, you're up in heaven ruling and reigning over everything up there. Please let that happen down here on earth because we know everything that's happening up there is for your glory. We want your glory to happen down here on earth as well. Jesus never once uses the words me or I. It's always we and us. Point being, if you're only praying for yourself, you're doing it wrong. It's not having a humble heart. It's, in fact, selfish. Just for the record, this is why I'm adamant about you getting into one of our groups that kick off today, by the way. So if you're not in a group, there's still time to get in. There's nothing. You just sign up for 10 weeks. If after 10 weeks, you're like, this is not for me, then you can get out. You don't have to sign up in blood or anything. But the reason I want you in a group, part of the reason, is because then you're going to have other people praying for you. And then you're going to have people to pray for and their needs because we don't always need to be praying about us all the time. And you'll have some consistency in that. And, and don't hear me say you can never pray for yourself. Okay, I'm not saying that. We clearly get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane shortly before he's crucified, praying, God, please let this cup pass from me. But what's he say after that? Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And so even then, he had a humble heart of surrendering himself before God, a spiritual posture. God, my way is not the best way. Yours is. Please help me understand what that looks like. And so we've got to start in a certain place. A distraction-free place. Then we're going to examine our posture, both physically and spiritually. And we're going to humble ourselves before the God the Father who is infinitely holy. Then we're going to start praying out loud. The question now becomes, what do you pray for? Which is number four. That's convenient. I know, I did it on purpose. Uh, but draw this down. A daily dependence that's what you're praying for, according to Jesus, a daily dependent. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. So when do we pray for tomorrow's bread? Tomorrow. Not a trick question again. So you got a big test coming up on Friday. When do you pray for your big test? On Friday. What do you pray for in the meantime? God, give me clarity. Give me wisdom. Give me the tenacity to study well on today. But you don't spend the whole week obsessing. God, i got to pass this test on Friday. i got to pass this test on Friday. i got a lot of anxiety. I gotta, you got to help me out here. No, you pray for the test on Friday. And even then, when Jesus is talking about daily bread, it's in the context of to help somebody else right? It was with the friend. Hey, I got this friend that just showed up. Can you help me? It wasn't about that guy. So the bulk of your prayers should be, God, equip me so I can equip others as well. If you're sick, God, heal me today so that I can be of help to the people you've put in my life. God, give me the strength today that I need to serve you and others well. God, I need your help. God, please keep my family safe today. Uh, do whatever you need to do. to Give me the uh, you know, strength and courage to serve them, to make money to in my job, help my co-workers, whatever it is. It's about others. A theologian once said, The purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth, of which you're a part of. God has given you a ministry and a purpose and a plan, and He wants you to use those things for your joy and His glory. Paul wrote about it in 1 Thessalonians, and he records these words, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will, God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So at some point in life, you've asked, Man, what's God's will for my life? Is this God's purpose? Whatever. Uh, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, like all circumstances, give thanks. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Are, Are you really doing that? It's something to think about. So here's where we're at. We're in a certain place, we've humbled our hearts, we've got our spiritual posture right, we've gotten into a physical posture of prayer, we start praying out loud for the needs of others so that we can help others. But that's not everything, is it? Because the culmination of prayer, according to Jesus, is found in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He says, how much more then is God willing to give you the Holy Spirit and later on, he would say uh, to his disciples, that it's better for me to leave than for me to stay, because when I leave, I'm going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. And so it's better for Jesus to not be around than for Jesus to be around. Let that sink in. What? Better for Jesus to not be around? I thought Jesus was the whole point of life. Oh, sure, he, he's the point in reconciling you back to God. Because there's nothing you can do in order to earn God's favor. Jesus did that for you, and so he lived the perfect life, so you didn't have to. But everything is dependent upon his Holy Spirit then after that, and how he leads you, guides you, and directs you in your life. And so if you want to grow up in your prayers, then you've got to surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit and ask God for his presence in your life. You need to know that Scripture teaches your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. And you should be doing things and going places where you would want the Holy Spirit to go. And you should be letting Him lead you and guide you and direct you, which then, hear me, if the only thing that you're doing during prayer time is praying out loud, you're doing it wrong. At some point, you've got to listen and hear from the Holy Spirit and ask Him, how are you leading me in this? God, what should I do? I need your wisdom in all of this. And so you need to start small. So if you start praying for 10 minutes, eight minutes, pray out loud. Your last two minutes, just try and hear the voice of God. You say, I've tried that. I I, I can't do it. Have you really? You know, like like consistently, which is why we've chosen 21 days of prayer and fasting because we want to develop some consistency around this and and god's going to speak in powerful ways he's promised it but uh many of you are like well this is an a b conversation so see yourself out of it spirit you know like something weird is going to happen that's not at all god says no you need to ask for the spirit to come into your life and to help you in your praying and so if we can be super practical on this, then I think you should say and start out with 10 minutes a day of praying. I know you got 10 minutes, okay? You can set the alarm 10 minutes early and get up and find your certain place, private, to pray out loud. And we've printed these booklets of 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we've got 21 days of all the things that you can pray for right here. Prayer topics. And so we've taken all the guesswork out of it for you. We'll partner up with you and help you figure out what to pray for. And if you're a parent and you want to do this with your kids, we've got these little kids' booklets here printed. And day one, we've written out the prayer exactly for you. And conveniently, it starts with the Lord's Prayer. And then it's got a little activity that you can do and some lines of things that maybe your kids ask to pray for. Imagine the faith your kids would have if you wrote a prayer request in this little journal, and then a few days later, God answers that prayer. And then all of a sudden, you show that to the kids, and you're like, you want to know if God's real or not? How about this? This ain't coincidence. God did this. Come on, somebody. Like, this is faith in action. And these are the things that we want for you and your kids. So please, grab one of these booklets and utilize them in your effort to start learning how to pray the way Jesus prayed. We're trying to grow up in our prayers. I can promise you it's going to be weird at first. But you can push through the weirdness. I promise you. Last thing. Real fast. That was a pun. Because we are talking about fasting. Not use the fasting jokes. Got it. Uh, But... Jesus talks about this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew chapter 6. At the end of Matthew 6, he goes into a a little uh, teaching on fasting, and he says this, "...and when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, this is the only reward that they'll ever get." People saying, congratulations. Congratulations. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Reward you with what? That's not the point. The point is, Jesus said, made the assumption that you would fast. And when you fast, he says, assuming you do, and when you fast... So you don't fast because of the reward, you fast because it's required. It's expected. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, then you're going to fast. If you're going to grow up in faith, you're going to fast. Now, there's a lot of different ways that you can fast. There's nothing that says you have to do it one specific way. And in, in case you're going, uh, in every single case of fasting, you got to hear me, you're going to abstain from something in order to hear from God. That's the point of fasting. I'm going to abstain from something in order to hear from God. So if you fast from food, it's not so that you can lose weight, although that's a benefit. Uh, And if you fast from TV, it's not because, well, I've got all my shows DVR'd, and so I'll watch it after. If you fast from social media, it's not because, well, I've got nothing going on, I don't need to post anything, nobody needs to hear from me, it's just January... Uh, I can post after. No, I'm fasting from those things in order to hear from God. Fasting is about making a sacrifice for God because He first made a sacrifice for you. That's the point of fasting. I'm making a sacrifice for God because He first made a sacrifice for me. And if you've learned anything in life, you should have learned that nothing of significance happens without sacrifice. You know what I'm talking about? All the good things that have happened in your life, it required a sacrifice at some point. It required those early mornings in the gym. It required those study nights. It required getting that degree. It all required a sacrifice and then some significant happened. And so let me say this with regards to fasting as we kind of wrap up our time this morning. There's Uh, nothing that says you have to fast for an entire 21 days. Okay? Start small. But, in regards to both prayer and fasting, it's going to be a sacrifice. You need to know that coming into it. Uh, but I, I don't fast uh, from food specifically for the full 21 days. I've done 10 days of just water before, and then I do a little transition day, and then I do like a Daniel fast, which is kind of like a vegan diet, so I, I don't get to eat what I normally do. More consistently, what I do is I'll fast for seven days in January, and then I'll fast three days every subsequent month. So I get 40 days of fasting for the entire month. And then I'll do something, you know, differently Uh, with regards to the full 21 days. But the reason we chose 21 days, it's not magical, it's in Scripture. Daniel was praying and fasting for 21 days, and then he had a breakthrough in his life. And I think the same thing can happen for you. You can have a breakthrough in your life. I I taught a message on it last year. You can find it online about the 21 days and why we chose that, so I don't want to spend any more time on that today. But uh, what, what you really need to understand is that you're going to give something up, and it is going to be a sacrifice. But I believe if you'll commit to doing something for 21 days, and I have a whole scientific research that proves this, you're going to start developing a habit. And the habit would be good to um, um, start praying. Like, that would be a good habit to develop. And with regards to fasting, I always want to try and make this clear. Specifically, if you decide to fast food, you need to check with your doctor, okay? I don't want anybody, you know, writing me and saying, but there's a ton of Physical evidence, scientific research that proves the benefit of fasting from food, specifically for five days. Okay, that's kind of like a magic number where your body resets itself, starts developing new T-cells and stem cells. And I could go off on a whole tangent about this. You can do the research yourself. But there is some some great benefits to just doing a water-only fast that you should be aware of. But if you'll commit to this for 21 days and you'll get in a group, and for the 21 days you as a small group, your consistency and likelihood that you're going to keep with it is going to skyrocket because you've got this built-in accountability. But here's what I want you to hear me say. Test it out. Try it out. What do you have to lose? 21 days? You, uh, come on. And see if God doesn't do something amazing and powerful in your life. He's the one that promised it. He's the one that said, you're going to get a reward when you do this. That wasn't me. That was Jesus speaking. God's going to reward what you do and see. So prove him wrong. See what happens. See if you don't end up more committed to faith than you ever have been before. But we've got to grow up, not just grow old. And growing up starts with learning how to speak to God and hear from God and do some of the disciplines that he's outlined for us in scripture, one of them being fasting. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us what you want from us in life. God, I'm asking you again now to do what only you can do and speak to our hearts and speak to our situations. And God... I'm asking as I pray and you all are thinking about what you've heard this morning, God, speak to them on what they should be fasting, what they should give up, how they can start praying. Where's your certain place? What are you going to pray for out loud? How is this week going to be different? Because you're committing yourself before God to say, I'm doing this and here's what I'm looking for. God speak to each life help encourage them it all starts because of your son Jesus that he's made a way for us to be in a relationship with you that the only way we can approach your throne is because I've been made new in Jesus name so you need to know that before you set out on this journey of prayer and fasting that it starts with understanding what Jesus did for you that there's something separating you and God, that you tried life your own way. And Jesus says, no, I've, I've lived a perfect life. And the way that you're doing this, this just leads to death. And so I'm going to step into this space for you and I'm going to die a death that was meant for you, but I'm going to raise from the dead. And because of that, you can be made new. You can be put in this relationship with God. And now you can stand before his holy presence and pray for whatever you need to ask for. So you've got to start with that. And if you haven't, the Bible says all you got to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus did those things that he, that I just said. You can say, God, forgive me of my sin. Help me be made new because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And for those of you who have already taken that step of faith, how could your prayer life be different? Where's your certain place? How are you going to start praying out loud? What posture are you going to do it in? Think about those things. God, we want you to move. We want to see your power in this place. Do something amazing for your glory and our joy.